You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. Hello, my friends. Welcome to The Joe Martino Show. My name is Joe, and I am excited to talk to you today. I hope you're having a great day. It is a beautiful morning when I'm recording this, and hopefully it's a beautiful day wherever it is that you're listening to it. I want to talk to you today about two different things. First of all, I want to talk to you about uh, extreme ownership of your life. I want to take a few minutes and talk about that. I know I've talked about it in the past, but I want to talk about it in light of, of, of life and your students, your own students and your own life. And then I want to talk a little bit about the difference between cognitive empathy and emotional empathy. In our society, we have mixed the two of them up and we need to get back to where we have a little bit of a distinction for the betterment of society. All right, let's talk about extreme ownership for a minute. One of the things that I am noticing as I talk to fellow therapists, I'm hearing about it. As I talk to community leaders, I'm hearing about it. Uh, is a lack of ownership for why people do things. I don't think it's new. I do think it might be a little more exasperated. And I'm telling you, together we could change this. We could move society together if we found a group of people to band together and push forward to extreme ownership of why I do what I do. Let me tell you a little story. Last week, my wife and I got in a fight, and I didn't fight well. If I'm really honest with you, I just didn't fight well. I fought poorly. I, I broke... Like, I broke my own rules of communication. Now, I can be tempted to say, well, I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't done this. But it's hogwash. It's absolute hogwash. Because my wife can do whatever she wants to do. And in that case, I think she would agree she didn't fight very well. But I still am responsible for me. I have to choose what I do. There is no makes me. I hate that phrase. Clients usually laugh because in session, anytime they say this makes me, I'm like, whoa, 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 nothing makes you. You always get to choose. You might be invited to it, but you always get to choose. Your spouse never makes you fight. Your kids never make you fight. You always get to choose. I want to tell you how this conversation came up. I was talking to someone here locally about the football team this year, uh, it's no secret. I'm a little conflicted about sports in high schools, but I do see some value. I also see some negatives. Nonetheless, we were talking, we were talking about how the season was going and the team lost a, uh, a really close game. They were ahead late and then somehow the other team came back and won in overtime. I wasn't there, but they were talking about it and, and the statement was made. I wonder how much time the local fans are going to give the new coach. Our local football team has enjoyed a lot of success under the last coach. And somebody piped in and said, well, he had his favorites. He would play people that he liked his favorites. And it was apparent. And I actually looked at the parent and I said, I just want to make sure I understand what you're saying. A dude whose job is to win and to train young people, certainly, but his job is to win. He goes on the field. He wants to win. You're saying that he plays someone who is less talented because he likes someone else more. Oh, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, two quick questions. Then why did they win, right? They won state championships. They went to the state championship when they weren't supposed to. And two, why would he do that? Now, look, I know you can find some 12-year-old league. or We're not talking about that. We're talking about a high school team. And so I'd ask questions because I knew this guy's son. I'd be like, so let me ask you a question. Your son, how hard did he condition in the offseason? Well, well, he did kind of hard. 
how well did he work? How hard did he work on his own stuff? Well, 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 kind of. Here's the thing. Kind of isn't done. And that's one of the things that is born from a lack of ownership, right? Have, have a strong sense of ownership of what you do, period. I was talking to a student who is not doing well in geometry at a class that I struggled with. And, and, and she said to me, look, I can't get this. The teacher, every time he talks, I get more confused. In fact, I believe that's true. My own daughter's in that class. And my daughter said the same thing to me. Every time he talks, I get more confused. Okay, that's fine. You don't control that. But what you do control is how you respond. Go get a tutor. See if you can get put in another class. Like, I don't know exactly how it works out, but there are always other options. You're not the first student to have a teacher that you don't understand, and you don't control whether or not you understand your teacher sometimes. But you control your response to it. Always, always, always. And I'm telling you, one of the things that I'm seeing, I was just talking to a person yesterday who is... uh, a mid-level manager, they're hiring people into social work, uh, runs a facility to help facilitate, well, facility to help facilitate, runs an organization that helps facilitate adoption, uh, foster care, those types of things. And one of the comments was, the kids that are coming into us fresh out of college, we hire a lot of them. Most of them are behind the curve on how the job works, which we expect, but something we've noticed over the last three years is they're behind the curve in how to answer in an accountable way for their actions. And it's not just like fresh college graduates. Uh, I met somebody in their third, I know people in their thirties, forties, fifties, all the way up, right? But for this person, it's, it's fresh college graduates because that's who they're hiring. One of the things that I would suggest is those people's parents probably didn't do a very good job of teaching them extreme ownership of their own life. You own your own choices. If you don't like your life, go do something different. As a parent, if you're reacting poorly to your kids, it's not because of their poor behavior. You don't get a pass. So if you told your kids to go to bed and they're still tearing up the house and you react poorly, that's on you. That's extreme ownership. That's what changes lives. It's what changes cities and it's what changes cultures. That level of extreme ownership. So, okay, little Johnny's acting up. All right, little Johnny may need to be instructed. He may need to be taught. He may even need to be disciplined. Which, by the way, little side note, little bit, my, one of my listeners writes me regularly and teases me that I have ADD. Little side note here. Just because your kids act up doesn't mean you need to punish them. I'm just going to throw that out there. You can teach. You can teach. Just teach. And sometimes you have to discipline. But not every time. I'm telling you. You don't have to discipline every time. You shouldn't be a pushover, but you should teach. Okay, time back in. Little Johnny's acting up. He's got you frustrated. Fantastic. What an opportunity for you to practice responding the way that you want little Johnny to respond when he's frustrated. Maybe not so little Johnny. Maybe Sally is 14 or 15, and she's at that wonderful stage where she could solve all the world's problems. You are still 100% in control of your life, period. And if you respond poorly, it doesn't matter how much you tell Johnny or Sally that they should respond better when they're stressed if you don't. That's the reality you're living in. So if we want to help our students, if we want to help our children become the adults that we want them to be, we have to model it. Oh, Joe, parenting's hard. You're shaming me. No, I'm not. And yes, it is. Parenting is hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever done besides maybe being married. Seriously. 
I mean, business is business and that has its own issues. Being married and having kids, two of the hardest things I've ever done and two of the most rewarding. However, I have to brutally accept the fact that how I respond is what's going to shape my children's response. Not how I tell them to respond, but literally 100% how I respond. So many people, we act like people, we act like our children are pets. It just frustrates me. And I know, I know, I know, I, I don't want to shame you. In fact, no small part because I want you to listen. Right? But but let's let's just talk truth here. How many parents, and, and you know, I realize I could be a little jaded here. Right? People walk through my office and how many of those parents, they live their lives selfishly and then they wonder why they raise children who become adults who are selfish. They raise their lives with an external locus of control, right? That, that external locus of control is a fancy psychology way of saying the center, right? So the center of control comes from outward, right? Total ownership. My wife, who's also a therapist, her and I were talking about this. And one of the things that we talk about regularly is how many clients refuse to just accept an internal locus of control, which means it all starts with me, period. It starts with me, period everything. I'm responsible for how I responded to my wife last week when we had that fight. 100%. If I thought she was wrong, there's 115 different ways that I could have said that better than how I did. And I'm telling you, even as I sit here and make this recording, the excuses flood my brain. Well, I was tired. I worked long that day. My back hurts really bad and I don't know why. Blah, 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 blah. But the reality is, the truth is, I'm still 100% responsible for me. I have to accept in that moment I taught my kids a bad lesson. Now, I can go back and I can teach them a lesson about forgiveness. I can teach them a lesson about humility and admitting I was wrong. I can teach them a lesson about, hey, you, you know what? We make mistakes and we, we have to readjust. But all that takes time. And one of the things that I struggle with with the modern man, I sometimes am afraid we're more interested in our sports than we are in teaching our children. There's a second level to this. You need to make sure you have friends that A, accept their own responsibility for their choices, right? They have extreme ownership of their life and their choices. And B, they push you to have extreme ownership of your life choices. I cannot tell you how many times I have people come in my office, they sit down, they're blowing up their life, they're blowing up their kids' lives, their wives' lives, their husbands' lives with their poor choices. And their best defense is, well, my friends agree with me then you need new friends. Simple, point blank. You need new friends. I especially enjoy seeing this on Facebook, right? Somebody puts up a post about their ex or their soon-to-be ex, and all of their friends come in and talk about how bad the ex is, and they share stories that are like half true. Find friends that, that force you to look at what you did in any given situation. So if you have friends that... You go to them and you're like, man, my husband is such a jerk. He blah, blah, blah. You need friends who, yes, they can empathize with you. We're going to get to cognitive and emotional empathy in a minute. But they also need to ask you, how did you respond? Were you telling the best story that you can tell with your life? Were you the best person that you could be? Did you follow the guidelines that you set up for your life to communicate? That you set up for your life to deal with conflict? Or did you react poorly? We have created echo chambers of support, even when we don't deserve to be supported. 
Because the, the opposite of anybody not supporting us is they're a hater. That's our society. Either they're haters or they're supporters. Either they're haters or they love us. Sometimes love tells you you were wrong. And we have to hear that. We have to have friends who tell us that. Years ago, I was picked to be the monitor at a child custody exchange point. So they would pull into the parking lot of the company that I worked for. Uh, I would come out. They would exchange the child. And I was there to monitor that. In, in the course of this, the wife snapped at the husband and she made some strong statements about his character. And I didn't know the story at all. I said to him after she left, I said, what is she talking about? And he said, oh, she's just referencing a little incident where I put myself out there online uh, in the very early stages of like affair slash dating sites. And he wasn't my client. In fact, I wasn't even a counselor at the time. And, and so I just thought, dude, there's no such thing. Like, like you need, you're missing the point. You need better friends. You need a better filter for your own life. There's no such thing as a little incident when you're married, putting yourself out there on a dating site. Fast forward a number of years. I am in graduate school doing an internship and I stop to, or I don't stop, but I, I am helping a friend set up a domestic violence mandatory group at her site. So it's on my way to my site. The hours count. She's kind of in my cohort, although we didn't have a cohort, but she's in my class. So it's, it's you know, good, good for the school, good for me, good for her, good for her site. And I would stay and help facilitate a few discussions. I had to stop because I'm telling you every of almost every abuser that I sat there and heard, most of them would admit it. You know, I walked in thinking a lot of guys are going to be like, oh, I didn't actually do it. Or she's exaggerating. Almost all of them admitted it. Yep, I hit her. But I wouldn't have if she hadn't done blah, blah, blah. And then I wanted to hit them. And so extreme ownership of my own feelings says, all right, I need to go somewhere else. I, I need to stop doing this. So I told her, I said, look, I'm sorry. I can't do this anymore. They're not having extreme ownership of their life because, right, oh, yeah, I hit her, but dot, 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 whatever that is. Now, here's the thing. In both of those examples, we can see the lack of ownership because if it's so extreme. But here's what I want to challenge you. I'm guessing that most of the people listening to this are not, you know, making it a monitored exchange with their children. Most of the people listening to this are not in mandatory domestic violence group therapy. But I'm also willing to bet that most of the people listening to this are willing to make the same types of excuses for their own behavior. Most of the people that I encounter, they're willing to make the same types of excuses. And it all revolves around this. Well, it's hard. That's really hard. Yeah, it is hard because life is inherently hard. If you don't embrace that truth, you will not do anything with your life. Anything. Being married is hard. Being a parent is hard. Being married without kids is hard. Being a friend is hard. It's all hard. Life is hard. And you have to embrace that. And simultaneously embrace your responsibility to own your own life. Just look through the last seven days. Where did you not live up to being the person that you know you could be? Where did you not live up to being a good communicator? Where did you attack someone verbally? Where did you gossip? Where did you lie? You can make those changes. But it's got to start with extreme ownership of your own life. If you draw a stick figure of yourself, or if you're a good artist, draw yourself. I don't care. And then draw circles around, little circles all around you. Family of origin. Family. 
spouse, friends, work, school, all of those. If there's conflict in all of them, you're the only common denominator. You have to look at that. You have to look at that. And here's the thing. If we're honest, yes, there's going to be a lot of those situations, maybe almost all of them, where you were wrong, where the other person did something wrong, but you don't control that. You own your response. You own your actions. So you don't get to say, oh, well, they did that wrong, so I get to do it wrong. And this is happening all over our society. It's especially happening in schools. We're telling students it's okay because your teacher's this. It's okay because the referee blew that call. It's okay because your classmate did this. It's not okay. And here's the beautiful point of this. If you get this, if you embrace the idea that you have 100% ownership of your choices, your life gets immeasurably better. Your life gets immeasurably better because you have freedom. Because you're not controlled, air quotes, by what other people do. You're controlled by you. And now you have the choices to make. It's an awesome place to live. And it's even more awesome when you're surrounded by people who help you stay there and who you help stay there, right? It becomes a group of people that actually help each other get better. Now, one of the things is I feel we've created false bifurcations in our society where we have split acceptance and pushing someone forward. So if someone says to me, hey, you were wrong in that fight, you're not accepting me for who I am. That's not true. They can accept me for who I am and at the same time say, hey, look, you need to be better. You need to be better. So if you want to have a life that has freedom, if you want to have a life that has meaning, if you want to have a life that matters, brutally accept the truth that you are 100% in control of your life. You have to take ownership for your behaviors, period. If you did it, there's no I did it, but there's no I did it with an excuse after it. It's just I did it. And either it was right or it was wrong. And if it was wrong, I'll make it better. Find friends who hold you to that standard. If you have friends who are always telling you what you want to hear, get rid of them. I'm telling you, I watch people blow up their lives and their friends are standing on the sidelines cheering them on. That doesn't even make sense. If you were my friend and I saw you running towards a fire or driving in a car, you know what? You know what? Bad illustration. Let's just back up. A couple years ago, I was in college. So a couple decades ago, I'm driving home from school, I think over Christmas break or sometime in the winter, the road is icy. And all of a sudden my headlights light up this guy standing in the middle of the road, waving his arms side to side, doing the slow down motion. He's risking his life to keep me from getting into an accident. Now I'm in a hurry. I could have avoided the accident. So many friends are not that guy. They don't risk anything. They stand there and cheer you on. It'd be like him standing on the sidelines, just cheering me on. Hey buddy, in college, you're going fast in that station wagon. Keep on going. You don't know that there's a disaster ahead of you, but I'm not going to tell you about it. That's not friendship. Find friends who tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. Which brings us to the second part of this show today. 
The difference between cognitive empathy and emotional empathy. Right now, everybody seems to be talking about empathy, which in some hands is great. In some hands, I think it's bad. Think about this. Emotional empathy is just feelings for feelings for a person's emotional state. So the parent that sees their child in the grocery store or in the, you know, in the store and the kid wants this thing and they say no, the parent says no. And now the kid's all oh, crying and screaming. You're going to feel emotional empathy for them. We have mirror neurons. If you don't know what they are, look them up. They're amazing. Uh, and you're going to feel their pain, especially at first. As you get older, you know, more kids, it uh, that, that effect deteriorates a little bit. But if you give in to that emotional empathy without considering cognitive empathy, you'll spoil your child and raise an adult that we don't want. A lot of bad things have been done in the case of empathy. For instance, whenever we talk about police, police brutality, Right. One of the things that you often hear is the person's argument isn't addressed. The fact that they're not addressing the other side is addressed. So the people who believe that there are too many cops out there, right, and there's no accountability, they talk about, well, what's it like to be a black man, a black youth in America? The people who have family officers, family who are officers, they talk about, well, what's it like to be a police officer? And very little actual communication gets done because we can't separate cognitive empathy from emotional empathy. Cognitive empathy is the intellectual realization of what the person's feeling, right? I'm sure that's painful. That might be uncomfortable. Uh, Stopping and forcing yourself to consider the world from the other person's perspective, right? So um, this Friday, I'm going to be teaching, uh, I'm going to be introducing new interns doing their orientation. And one of the things we're going to talk about is, look, if you get a bad eval here, you might not make it. They might make you wait a year. You might get kicked out of your program. They might not let you graduate. There's, there's a whole conversation there. And with cognitive empathy, I can understand how stressful that would be. If I allow my emotional empathy to run that, though, I might not give them a fair evaluation. If they're not good, I might, I might make them better. And then here's my question. What about their future clients that they're not prepared to help? Do we not have empathy for them? We should. Right? That becomes the stress. How do we hold? Cognitive empathy allows us to hold two things in tension. I can feel empathy for them. If I have to write a bad review, I can feel bad for them. And I do. And at the same time, I can have empathy for their future clients and realize they need the feedback. They need to get better before we unleash them to sit in the room with people. I sit in the room with people who are bawling because they've just made a mess of their life. And I can have cognitive empathy for them. I can even have emotional empathy for them. And at the same time, I have to be able to help them see a path forward, which involves, you guessed it, extreme ownership of their life. Right? I can't tell you how many people say, well, I blew up my marriage because this was modeled in my youth. Okay. You know what? I get that and I I feel bad for you. I do. The question is, what are you going to do about it? You see, if we just live in emotional empathy, which is just the emotional reaction to someone's position or someone's place or someone's hurt or someone's pain. If we just live in emotional empathy, how do we make changes? How do we look to the future and say, okay, this is what my life was like, but I want it to be like this. That becomes the real rub when we're only experiencing emotional empathy. Now, if this sounds a lot to you like the three minds living out of your best mind, 
emotional mind, logical mind, wise mind, I would agree that there is certainly parallels to that, right? So if you want to do a a better job of looking to the future, one of the things you have to ask yourself is how much do I live out of cognitive empathy and how much do I live out of emotional empathy and how well do I blend the two of those? Cognitive empathy is the mental uh, response to, I get it, being in an internship is stressful. Emotional empathy is, I get it, being in an internship is stressful and I'm going to make it easier for you, right? And we're doing this currently. In fact, it's sad to me, we're we're giving up on standards because of this emotional empathy, right? We, We don't fight for anything anymore because then people feel bad if they don't make it. And empathy says, well, I got to feel bad with them, which is true. And at the same time, we can say, you know, there's always the next time. We can still say, maybe you could do something better. Maybe you could study harder. Maybe you could work harder. We can still hold standards and have empathy. But we have to balance our emotional empathy with cognitive empathy. If we don't do that, we're always going to be lowering standards. Like right now, literally, you can't flunk in most elementary schools or middle schools. That's not good. I have a friend who went to school to be a CPA. Undergrad was somehow related to being a CPA. Graduate school was a CPA degree or a tax accountant degree. I'm not really sure what they call that degree. Has taken the CPA exam twice and failed. Currently studying for his third time. Cognitive empathy balanced with emotional empathy says, man, that sucks and I'm here for you. And then at the same time, when we balance emotional empathy with cognitive empathy, we say, okay, but now it's time to get back up and go study more. What didn't you do last time that you could do this time? How do we make that work? That's the difference between cognitive empathy and emotional empathy. Cognitive empathy acknowledges the feelings. It spends some time there, but it doesn't live there. It moves us forward. Emotional empathy rarely does. All right, that's today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you have a question, please feel free to email me, info at joemartino.com, I-N-F-O at joemartino.com. Put in the subject line uh, podcast question or just make sure the word podcast is in the subject line. That is a mailbox monitored by multiple people. And without that, I might miss the email. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. Give us a rating on the iTunes store. And if you have a question for a future show, feel free to send us an email at info at You can also go to joemartino.com and click on the contact me page. Until next time, remember, change possible.